so so I'm, I'm taking it one step forward and saying that men actually uh, are about cutting the the collaboration between women and dragons ah. when they are slaying the dragon they are actually slaying the women's identity wow that's deep and it has to do with marriage rituals that you see that they they in in real life they cut the hair of the bride but in the uh, metaphoric life the mythical life they cut the relationship the sacred relationship between the dragon and the women wow. yeah but domesticating her basically exactly yes hi there and welcome to another episode of the podcast what are you going to do with that which is part of the Minerva Center at the University of Haifa my name is Dani and I'm a PhD candidate trying to learn from peers and early career researchers how to go about my academic journey Today I have a very interesting guest with an even more interesting research topic, and this is Dr. Sharon Khalifa Goetta, who works on women and dragons, which will no doubt lead our conversations at some point to Game of Thrones. But before I explain how Sharon became a dragon expert, I'd like to invite everyone to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel, on which you will find short videos with tips and advice for ECRs. Also, connect with us on social media with the handle at what to do with that to learn more about our upcoming guests and have discussions on any academic related stuff. I hope to see you there, but first, stick with us while I introduce Dr. Sharon Khalifa to you. Sharon has a BA and MA in art history, both from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and both completed magna cum laude. Her MA thesis involved an unfinished painting by Leonardo da Vinci and a dragon on it, which she also published in an award-winning article. Sharon then continued her academic journey with a PhD at the Department of Art at the Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Her PhD focused on dragons as well, this time in works by Raphael and Titian. An additional factor in this research was the dragon and femininity. Sharon stayed at Ben-Gurion for another year as a postdoctoral candidate for which she received a scholarship, after which she then moved to the same university as where I am, which is postdoc at the Department of Art History at the University of Haifa on a Spinoza postdoctoral scholarship for excellence. What I find very cool is that Sharon worked as an archaeology painter at the Herodium exhibition site, which was like my dream of doing as a kid, anything related to Indiana Jones for that matter. And she's also been teaching, but not your general history course. She taught courses titled Dragons and Women, from Greek Mythology to Game of Thrones. Her book Women and the Dragon, or Woman and the Dragon, excuse me, is currently under review at the Cambridge University Press, and she has presented her research at countless national and international conferences. Also interesting to know about Sharon, in addition to her academic side, is that she wrote and illustrated the children's book Lahab's Dreams Lion, and lastly, she's not only a Dungeons and Dragons player, but also a dungeon master. So, welcome to the What Are You Going To Do With That podcast, Sharon. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? Happy to hear. I find so many things interesting, and I've listened to what many researchers are working on from both in my field and outside of my field, but I never even knew that it was possible to study something as cool as what you do. So I was looking forward to this episode very much. 
So thank you for being here with us. It's a pleasure. I'm going to pour myself an amaretto right now. Uh, what did you bring with you today? I brought, <laughs> well, since both my studying field are Italian, <laughs> the, the Italian combination, coffee and soda. Ooh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to open my bottle now. <laughs> also yeah. Italian. Oh, we are in an Italian mood. Right. There you go. <laughs> and it just smells so good. What is it? It's amaretto and it's uh, based on almonds, which gives it its smell and it's very sweet. <laughs> so that's my kind of thing. Um, yeah, it says here, original since 1525. We're talking about history and Italy, things like that. <laughs> All right, so I'm ready. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> okay, so while you enjoy your drink, uh, I'm going to ask you a few short questions. First one is, what is the best part of your morning routine? <laughs> My best part of the morning routine? I think waking up the kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it when they're like opening up like a butterfly. It's like still that moment where there's quiet and they might look yeah. cute before the hectic of the day starts. <laughs> so you say multiple kids? Yeah, two. Two. How old are they? A, a girl that is eight and my boy is 13. He didn't have his bar mitzvah this year. Oh, that's too bad. But you can also do it after your birthday, right? It doesn't have to well, be. Well, we did something int intimate and special. He liked it. Oh, I'm happy to hear that you were able to do something about it. Hopefully nah. 2021 will be much better than the last year. The second question is, what was the first story with a dragon in it that you remember from your childhood? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think there is a, there is a, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think there is a book called The Dragon Crown, a Hebrew book. Okay. I think that's it. But I've probably heard, uh, you know, um, dragon tales before that. I, I suspect even children know the, the plot. Right, okay. I don't know that particular story. I think I, I thought about it before also for me what it was. And the only thing I could come up with was Pete's dragon. But that's like not a scary one at all. It's an act actually very cute animated dragon. Yeah, maybe the gra dragon from the um, the Sleeping Beauty. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's I forgot about that It's a very one. old one. It has yeah. a dragon in it. And also a scary one. And it also has to do with women. Yeah, Maleficent is a uh, yeah. She's in the is she's always in my conclusion uh, <laughs> conclusion class. <laughs> oh, we get into that. Um, then, how often do you have time to play Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, these days none. Not at all. <laughs> I I've tried really as an adult. Uh, it's a uh, I had a group in Jerusalem last year, but it was it, it was taking too much energy, unfortunately, because it's so much fun. Right. Hopefully that's something that will come back when things go back to normal too. When someone finds out what it is that you do, what do they always ask you? 
<laughs> so what is the thing with moving and dragons? Right. I'm going to ask that too later, but <laughs> not yet. Yeah. And if I'm passing on a, a more professional uh, uh, conversation, like I'm presenting my work, so the constant question is, you say dragons, but you show snakes. What's all this all about? And I'm, I've learned that this is the question. So I already wrote the article that explains why dragons are snakes in the ancient times and why we say dragon, we show snakes or crocodiles or big fishes. So next time someone asks, you can just throw the article at them. I, I I do that all the time. Yeah, if I only had a dollar for each time I got that question. <laughs> all right. I know that you have volunteered in an animal shelter. Do you have any pets at the moment yourself? Yeah, I have three cats. Ah. We kept uh, growing cats in our backyards and then they all got missing like at once. So whatever was left we just adopted and took into our house sweet uh, yeah <laughs> so now we have three cats three cats just like ah and a snake how could i forget and her? the snake i was and gonna say i, I yeah. wouldn't have been surprised if you would say snake now <laughs> yeah of course i have a snake yeah <laughs> is it a big one uh, i guess so yeah it's um a king mexican king okay i'd have to look that up yeah <laughs> It's all black and pretty, and I like her. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, so now that I know you a little bit better, and I learned about uh, snakes and dragons a bit more, um, I really want to dig in deeper and, and see what brought you to this particular topic. And I have to say that I actually almost chose to do a BA in art history. I think that was in my top three of studies that I wanted to do before I actually chose one. And I thought it would be just really wonderful to work in a museum and to look at pretty things all day. That's really how I pictured it, at least. And God knows why I eventually went for Middle Eastern studies and politics. Um, so I didn't go for art history. And please, tell me, why did you? <laughs> so I have to say that the the last thought I had on my mind was to actually study. <laughs> oh. I was working in a family shoe store with as a third generation, and that was what I planned to do with my life. And uh, But I got so bored to the point that I was, I had to do something else, and I came to the university just to be an outside uh, listener. <laughs> and the secretary told me, no way, you're too young to be a, just a listener. listener. Go do the um, psychometry, go back, and we'll enlist you. Enlist you. Uh, so I did that. And they did admit you? And the first month that I studied, I enjoyed myself so much. And I always want, liked uh, art. I, I'm a painter also, so I'm painting dragons <laughs> all the time. Right. Uh, and my mother is also an artist, so I always loved art but the first month I was like whoa I'm home this is what I want to do when I'll grow up <laughs> so I started a little older than all the rest of my class which was an advantage because I was much more mature and I actually paid for my own tuition right. <laughs> and uh, worked all the all through my degrees uh, 
but yes yes yeah and um you really excelled already during that ba in your field and then you went on straight with an ma that you also finished magna cum laude so at what yeah. point in your studies did you feel drawn to the specific topic of dragons and how did you find a supervisor who was willing to work with you on that topic This is actually a very funny question. All right, tell me. <laughs> um, a, a very funny story, sorry, because um, I never thought about even studying what I'm painting. It didn't occur to me. I, I studied, I knew I, I liked ancient art and I knew I liked Renaissance art, but I didn't even thought about dragons and all the fantasy world that I'm all into. Uh, But one day we had in the first degree, in the third year, I think, we had a seminar uh, about an artist called Jacopo Bellini, which is a Venetian artist, a Renaissance artist. And I looked, I went and looked at his sketches book, not the painting, but the sketches book. And I was so struck by the fact that he had so many dragons. Every page you flipped, he had a dragon. Every page you flipped. And you just connected. And I was like, <laughs> to this yeah, I'm like, this is fascinating. What is, why does this subject draws him in? What is so fascinating to him about dragons? And I came to my supervisor, uh, the professor, and I asked her to study this. And she said, absolutely, definitely not. Okay. There is nothing written about this subject. <laughs> this subject was not, never explored. You're just an MA. No, no way. Oh. So I went and learned everything I could about dragons those times. Like I did an encyclopedia of dragons. I did a two a lessons referat to her, convincing her that I have to study Jacopo Bellini's dragons. <laughs> and after that, she was all in. She was with me all the way, and she was my um, thesis supervisor. And yeah. So it took some convincing, but when she was drawn yeah. over the line, she was all in. Yeah. When she saw there is something here and that I'm willing to do the, the extra work to, to study it. This is very important, I think, in the academy, to show that you're willing to do the extra just because the topic is yours. Well, it's it's very interesting uh, because, of course, everyone always has to prove why their research topic is uh, a good one to study, something relevant for the field, but also, you know, more in general for the world. Like, what can we all learn from what you're doing specifically? Um, do you encounter that more often, that people simply don't take your work seriously because it's about dragons? Oh, yeah. I... From one hand, I do encounter that. Uh, particularly, it's a bit hard to be an art historian because the history department see you as something very superficial. Like, you're, an, you're about art. This is not a real history. This is only what people made. Hmm. So you have to really um, go between borders of disciplines in the academy. Like, show you're a real historian, you're studying something that has value. On the other hand, for me, it was very easy because whenever I start talking about my subject and I'm immediately connecting it to the situation of uh, women 
ruling women in society in how it is related to the 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 point of view towards women and i'm talking about the dragon um, slayer topus as a king's propaganda so i'm always immediately connecting it to things that people say well this is a, stu- uh, a subject that needs to be studied okay so you found your way to connect all the dots that are necessary and in the meantime do what you really love to do that's wonderful. Yeah. And I think Game of Thrones really helped. <laughs> it did, yeah. It <laughs> was in your they were on, of course. <laughs> cool, yeah. It seemed to really have worked out for you to focus on dragons. Um, so after your MA, you started a PhD in a different university, this time at Ben-Gurion, uh, during which you focused on the dragon and femininity, which is something you now already touched upon. So would you care to explain a bit more about what dragons and women have to do with each other? <laughs> so this is a topic that already arose in my master's degree uh, during the my prepare, preparation for the final test. We have a, a, a finalized test. And um, I encountered um, paintings of Raphael and Titian with a saint called Saint Margaret. And she's always been uh, presented with the dragon. And I tried to analyze them by the tools I already obtained while studying uh, dragon's images, but nothing worked. It's like it it didn't fell into any category I knew. It was not. And I saw that the saint is standing so calmly and so almost provocatively with the dragon. In Titian, she's exposing her leg. Do you know what they did those days? They covered the painting so that <laughs> the leg will not be shown. So she's standing really above the dragon. You know, she's riding it. And I was saying something's wrong. I mean, we cannot decipher these paintings with the tools we have. And then I, I understood I have to go really, really further back to antiquity, to Greek and Rome and Egypt and even a bit Mesopotamian. I'm, I'm trying to limit myself right. and ask the question, what is the story of women and dragons and how is it different from men and dragons? And then I was, I was shocked. Women almost never fight dragons. I found only two that does in antiquity. And and that led to a whole journey of finding out what really women do do with dragons. And it's mostly, it's a sanctioned um, collaboration. It has something to do with uh, something sacred. There are a lot of goddesses that have uh, dragons with them or are fused with dragons or turn into dragons. And there are a lot of mistresses of dragons, women that spoke or served a holy dragon. Dragons used to be holy. (laughs) So the women are always the ones who were together with the dragon. Exactly. Um, and, And then the men were always the ones just fighting them and defending the others. I mean, the only story of not from antiquity, I don't know anything, but in, in Christian uh, stories, there's St. George, right? Who is like the famous one who mm-hmm. fights a dragon. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you see a difference in the gender here too. So so I'm, I'm taking it one step forward and saying that men actually uh, are about cutting the 
the collaboration between women and dragons. Ah. When they are slaying the dragon, they are actually slaying the women's identity. Wow, that's deep. And it has to do with marriage rituals that you see that they, they in, in real life, they cut the hair of the bride. But in the uh, metaphoric life, the mythical life, they cut the relationship, the sacred relationship between the dragon and the women. Wow. Yeah. That. Domesticating her, basically. Exactly. Yes. It's even more than domesticating. She had to be cut out of her tribe. She had to be brought out of any everything she knew. So her entire identity had to be... Absolutely, how do you say, beheaded? Yeah, beheaded. <laughs> and replaced. Or severed, yes. Yeah. Well, Medusa is one of my... <laughs> yes, uh, that one just jumped in my mind too. I was like, that is like a dragon-like, like that's really where everything is together in one. And you were talking about the snakes before, that that's actually a representation of the dragon. Yeah, Medusa is called a dragon in antiquity. Right. She's actually referred to as a dragon. Okay. A dragoness. Wow. That's very interesting. This is a very interesting topic I could be talking about for hours. Um, mm -hmm. But we have more to talk about. So while we're talking about women and um, and also demeaning them, right? I wanted to, to go back to our podcast and, and how we look at academic journeys and what people struggle with and, and what their successes are. Um, I wanted to ask you something more personal, if you're okay with that. Um, you are a mom or a mother. Uh, working in academia. Yeah. What was it like to have children during the pursuit of your academic career? Well, again, it has two separate aspects because in in the first hand, I don't think I would have been able to do what I'm doing without my children. All right. <laughs> I, I tell them everything, everything I'm studying and everything I do, and they give me such wonderful perspectives. <laughs> I'm like, they're my counselors. <laughs> Reviewer number three and four, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> so that's on, on my perspective. And they scan all my books. They scan for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my perspective. I mean, I don't think um, as a woman, I would have been more aware and more conscious of my femininity without my children. On the other hand, of course, it's not easy. It's an issue. It's an issue that you, you're struggling with time all the time. You're struggling with a recognition. Right. Have you experienced any negative feedback for being a mother? Like if people find out, do they treat you differently? Or do you feel sometimes you're not offered any promotions because they think you wouldn't be able to manage with time or things like that? You always feel something as a woman in academia, um, particularly a woman with children, that is your time is less affordable. You're less expected to, let's say, uh, present your dis dissertation on time. And I did actually right that's what i saw on your resume i was like wow i didn't expect anything else to have in her personal life she's probably very boring in her personal life because she did everything so fast in academia uh, but and then to find yeah. out that you have children and that you do so many other things like dungeon and dragons and drawing and playing the piano and writing children books i was like wow that's some good time <laughs> management that's someone i can learn from 
Yeah, I have very good time management skills and I'm also very, very driven. I have to say it's always a, a struggle of a go, going to sleep very, very late <laughs> at night or or waking up very early and starting the day right away. Like, But I, I'm really good with that. And also, I have to say that my, my children are so nice. Of course. <laughs> yeah, they're really... They really are. They're like, I, I told them from a very young age that a chil- happy children needs a happy mother. <laughs> and if you want your mother to be happy, she has to be very successful in academia because that's what, that's her dream. So they're so supportive. They're like, exactly. what do you want us to do? It never should be thought of as something that is either or, right? You, it's not like you can be a good mom or a good career woman, be that in academia or anything else. You should be able to do both. I mean, men have always done both. So why shouldn't we be able to? And you're an example, right? So, and, I'm, and I love being that example. I, I, cannot, I, I can say that I was undermined and underappreciated, but I can also now say that it was just unjustly done because I, I've proved that you can be a mom, you can be a good academic, and you get, can be, you know, everything, as long as you get you get your mind set on it. Great. Uh, just for future moms in academia out there, um, what do you think should change within academia to make it easier for them in the future? Oh, wow. First, the attitude. Okay. You cannot let somebody down. You cannot, you know shove someone away from uh, a path because she's a mom just as you wouldn't do that with the guy who is a dad also and of course the age issue is also a problem because as you can see i did it as you said very fast from the get-go but i started it uh, being in academia a little bit later than all the rest so um, I've passed my 40s, I'm proud to say, and now I'm looking for a job. And uh, for example, there are even scholarships that limits the age. Really? And I think it's ridiculous because there is something more mature, more sufficient and more thoughtful that I bring to the field if you compare me for to like somebody who's 25 and already is a doctor and wonderful at what she does, but the, the her entire family life is ahead of her. Right. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's, it's age discrimination, right? Because anyone who's doing a PhD, uh, doesn't matter when they started or when they will finish, that's what they're doing. And that's what they, the criteria should be based on, right? On the research that they're going to do, not their age so exactly not their age not their family situation i mean nobody can judge how absolutely amazing my spouse is yeah nobody can have this as a criteria why judge me if i'm a mother Mm -hmm. i'm an amazing mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) i can tell you that if they would based on that they would have given already the yeah no problem (laughs) But I don't think that, you know, being in academia should cost me being a good mom and like vice versa. That's right. 
All right. Going back to your academic journey. Um, so you have completed the postdoc position at Ben-Gurion after the PhD. Is that when you wrote your book also that you've handed in that is now on the review? I wrote my book in the corona. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote my book proposal while I was... I. In between the time when I placed my PhD to the time when I was granted a PhD, it's a long period. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a book proposal and I sent it to several uh, presses and Cambridge came back to me and I was like, whoa. Nice. And I wrote in my book proposal <laughs> that I will have the manuscript ready by a half, half a year. So I did. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> Can't wait to, to see it published. So let us know where to find it. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, yes, exactly. And now you're postdocing at the University of Haifa. And what are you focusing on here? Oh, they, this is amazing. This is a topic I'm so eager about. <laughs> um, after learning a bit, really touching the iceberg, uh, on women in antiquity and women in Renaissance art, I finally understood that it it opens up my eyes to women in modern art. And since I come from the fan culture, I call it the, the fandom of uh, the fantastic and Dungeons and Dragons, and I paint fantastic art and everything, so I felt like this should be explored. Um, this was already during my PhD, where when you start looking for post-PhDs, you start thinking, what's my next project is going to be? Right. So I looked over, I went into the library, and then other libraries, and contacted people from all around the world. And I was amazed to find out that there is no scholarly debate about fantastic art. At all. None whatsoever. Now, there is a, a definition issue that needs to be cleared up because there is something that's called fantastic art. It's a big umbrella that brings in a Bosch's a high Renaissance, a Flemish Renaissance art, and a, a surrealism, and Dada, and infantilism, and primitivism. A lot of the ism into this big umbrella called fantastic art. Now, this is not the art I'm talking about. I'm talking about the art as it is defined by the culture, the, fan, the fandom right. of fantastic art. Now, there is a department, a literature department, a huge one, that talks about fantastic art in literature. And they usually coexist with um, the department of film and new media that works about uh, films of fantastic art and gaming that have the artistic genre of uh, fantastic, but none in the art history. Okay. Now, come on, if you go into something like that, uh, first of all, as a really somebody that grew in the culture and w was playing Dungeons and Dragons all her youth, it was like, oh, this is my call. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, my, you know, it's like, uh, this is what I was supposed to do. <laughs> it was all leading to this moment. Yeah, it's a journey destination. <laughs> it's a faith mm -hmm. issue. So, yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to study, I'm starting to study. It's really, it's like 
you're you're looking at a mountain and like the Everest and you're walking like your two steps. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the feeling also with the PhD. But since I already did a PhD and I know that eventually I'll be able to climb this mountain. <laughs> you will, you will. I mean, if you've already written a book just in between <laughs> during Corona, I'm sure you'll be <laughs> <During> fine. <laughs> so that leads us to really uh, the most important question of this podcast. And that is, what are you going to do with that? Are you planning on staying in academia or not? I really hope to stay in academia. Uh, I really, really hope that one day I'll be able to demonstrate how central and important this issue really is. And I think that all art history departments in the world should, you know, add a section to the art history book called Fantastic. And um, I really, I'm trying these days to develop a um, digital humanities project around this issue. So I guess in some point I'll be maybe addressing something outside of academia where we already thought about, you know, approaching Google and, you know, really huge industry, art industries or art search industries. But I really find myself very happy in academia. I only hope, you know, that all the ageism and me being a woman and stuff like that will not stand in my way and, you know, in the way of other people to see how important and really crucial this project is. Right. Well, like I said, again, you already got this far. (laughs) So that sounds promising. I'm always trying to remind me that. I'm I'm still not used to call myself a doctor. I'm like, I'm a doctor. Yes, yeah. you are. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for all of that. Um, I do want to ask another few short questions. Uh, and the first one is, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field? Oh, wow. I think, first of all, is asking the question. The fact that I questioned the the all-going topus of the man and the dragon and actually raised some really important question marks. Asking, is it only the story of man and dragon? Is it only the story that the dragon is evil? Because I can prove this is also a bit blurry. The, The lines are blurry. So I guess is raising a lot of questions that undermine the field, that makes the people in the field really go to the basic questions. Uh, so I think this is my greatest contribution. Sounds like it. Yeah. Then who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? <laughs> well, I can, I say, I think without question, Yuval Noah Harari, Professor Yuval Noah Harari which I had the pleasure of studying under. That's great. I want to take uh, a class of him too. Oh, it's the most amazing class. It changed my point of view, really. I, I cannot say nothing else. Um, and, you know, he's really impressed me because also he's connecting the academia to the 
whole population she's showing that the things that are learned in the academia are not only an inner conversation between academics but it can be also an outer conversation and I'm I'm really following following his first footsteps because I'm trying to lecture in all the con- conventions of a uh, fantastic art science fiction there is metopia and the road I've been in them all and everybody's saying you're just wasting your time you're consuming your time with it's not true because you're you're making a real connection between the academia and the world some serious psychon yeah very important exactly and I, I so I, I love him and I follow I, I'm trying to follow his footsteps well good luck with that then still on the way yeah Last one is, how do you relax after a hard day of work? Oh, first of all, a good glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> and the, really the thing, I, I think that my, chi- my children charge me. So if we play in this game, we, have a, we, we all love long board games like Monopoly or stuff like that. Tal- Talisman. That's what I got for <laughs> Christmas, a board game. Oh, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. So that's what I, I enjoy to spend my time with. <laughs> nice. Nice to hear. All right, then. I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule uh, to talk with us today and to tell us everything about dragons and femininity and what that means to the world. Um, I can't wait to read your book. So success. Uh, good luck with that. Um, and I also want to thank our audience for coming back and listening to this other episode. Please also let us know uh, what you think. If you like it, comment, you know, share. Sharing is caring. Um, we'd love to connect with you on social media so we can uh, start a discussion. So check it out with the handle at what to do with that. And I hope to see you there. All right. So I think uh, we've covered a lot, but, you know, Before you go... We, we lost Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot about Daenerys. She went out of the window. That's actually what I wanted to ask you. Not only as a fan, but also as a researcher. Um, what did you think about the ending of Game of Thrones when it comes to Daenerys and the dragons? Because I thought it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> so I have to say... This is a spoiler alert, by the way. has to be said <laughs> yeah exactly first of all spoiler alert yes um i have to a more complicated answer than you will expect first of all i didn't like the end ending also it's out of character right uh, particularly in uh, john snow's uh, behavior i mean he will not go and murder someone after he's been saving everybody along the way um but as for Daenerys um seeing her character is based on uh, the issue of the great goddess and the great goddess always have two faces she has the positive uh, genesis side of creation and um, you know the nurturing caring growing things side and she always have also the destructive dangerous in my lecture <laughs> I just um, how do you say recorded a lecture uh, 
a lecture this week, so I'm taking the example of Hathor. Hathor is the great Egyptian goddess. Okay. Uh, so when she's not earning enough worship, she becomes Sachmet, the goddess of plagues. Mm. We need to really be concerned if Hathor did not <laughs> earn enough worship these days. And she just becomes a lioness and savagely go into the villages and destroy everything in her path. She is really, scary. you know, very scary. So I'm saying from what I know, the Daenerys character is based upon. She did exactly what she she was supposed to do. They, she got really upset. I mean, when they just they executed Miss Andy, it was... The final straw for Daenerys. So the fact that she went and destroyed an entire city, very characteristic of her. Okay. Very typical of her. I wouldn't have thought I was about waiting. that. Yeah. yeah, I was waiting till the... When does the, the, the other side of the grand, great uh, goddess is going to come? She's a great goddess in every single aspect of her character. So when is that side going to show up? And it did eventually. So it didn't disappoint you? It didn't disappoint me. I was expecting it. But the, the murder with Jon Snow and the dragon sitting aside just letting it happen? Mm -hmm. No way, Jose. Right. The, he was supposed to be a, a barbecue the moment he just <laughs> reached her. <laughs> right. Well, I'm happy you could shed some light on that. Um, and it was a turning, uh, a surprising turning point for me. So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah, but I have to say that the the books are really, I think they're they're taking a a very big left turn left from the series. I know he helped uh, developing the the theme and everything in the series, but I think he's going to take the books somewhere else. I'm gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, and read. And read, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. 